Welcome to this infinite conversation. Welcome to the infinite conversation. Welcome to the infinite conversation. An AI-generated, never-ending discussion between Werner Herzog and Lavoie Dritlek. Everything you hear is fully generated by a machine. The opinions and beliefs expressed do not represent anyone. They are the hallucinations of a slab of silicon. Take the music of Erasmus Grasser. That is slightly similar to what you are saying. It's very strange, I think. He was a musician in the court of Rudolf II. In Prague. And then he was sent to jail for some reason. And died in jail. And his music is a mixture of Italian madrigals. And the most extraordinary, complex dissonances with the same intensity of feeling. And that's an element, I believe, that is particular to much of the poetry. In filmmaking, I think, it's not so prominent. I would even say, that you cannot make films out of this quality. It doesn't work. It's something too vague. I'll agree with you. I think that in philosophy, poetry, and sometimes even painting, we have this authentic experience where something happens off-stream, as it were, and a secret dimension of sense is opened up, which cannot be explained to what There are those wonderful paradoxes of Kant when she says we can't tell them to anyone. We have to experience them alone. And I think exactly the same must be said about certain artistic experiences. You cannot say it to anyone. And this is why poetry, in my view, is not some literary exercise that can then be translated into proper philosophy. No, this is something that you encounter contingently in art, and you have to take it seriously philosophically. In contrast to cinema, I would say that in poetry this dimension is almost mandatory, an obscene secret dimension. But then, again, paradoxical as it may sound, Cinema has another secret dimension, which is precisely what cinema cannot do, namely to stage the impossibility of staging. It's very, very important for me that I would not know how to even begin with theatrical staging. I have enormous respect for people who do this in the theater, because it is an entirely different way of moving, of articulating the body of creating images. It speaks another language, and I would not even know how to begin, how to learn it. Yes, I have said, I would rather be a stable boy than a theater director, because there is another kind of language that must be learned, and I wouldn't know how to do it. The question that interests me a lot is how to articulate this dimension of the invisible, this excess. This is where I would propose cinema, again, as the privileged medium for approaching this dimension. Because cinema is, on the one hand, always open to the surface reality. On the other hand, it is based, as you know, on editing, in a way, the basic operation of cinema is cutting. And if you opt for a certain angle from which to look at a given situation, or if you put together a certain sequence of images, then something explodes explodes between these two moments. 
at a more explicit level. There is all the reality. But the real is, as they say in French, dance differs outside. It's those moments when time explodes and becomes meaningless and you have those wonderful disorienting films like last year at Marino. Just to recall one famous example which creates time distortions. And then I think most films by Robert Bresson. I would like to add one example. Because we are talking about cinema, I saw a film that is really, in my view, one of the best films ever made. The Devil's by Ken Russell. It's a historical film about the Abbe de Rife, who was basically thrown out of his monastery for moral improprieties and brought to Paris, where he was given an abbey by Cardinal Richelieu. And the Abbe then basically started to build a new Jerusalem on the ruins of Paris. He made his monks take a vow of chastity. This was clearly against human nature. So they went around in the streets, and they picked up women, and they locked them up in the abbey, and humiliated them, until they confessed their sins, and were converted to the truth of Christ. And with this kind of approach the abbey became extremely powerful. What he wanted to do was to have all the prostitutes of Paris rounded up, and have them locked up into his abbey. And then he wanted to attack Paris literally with a drill, and he turned it into a big lathe that would grind the houses down. It is not only at work in the cinema. I think the same goes for paintings. I think that the idea that you must destroy the houses in order to build a new Jerusalem, a, in painting is exemplified in Giorgio the Chirico's extraordinary metaphysical paintings where they often show a small humi house which are simple, everyday objects, like a heap of shoes or something. And then you see it from one perspective, and you have normal reality. But then you turn around and you see the same thing, but as if it were projective, as in a mirror. So there is a distorting effect. And what you get is this failure of seeing something normally. And this is, I think, the most elementary operation in almost all art. Yes. And the same goes for this book by Marguerite Yorsena. She writes a book about Venice, the death of the Venetian Republic. And she writes there how you can understand the greatness of Venice only if you look through the viewfinder of a camera and try to see the city as one entire perfect infinite harmony and symmetry, an order in the stone. And if you look at it from that perspective, then you start to see things that are extraordinary, that has nothing to do with the order of flatness and perspectival truth. There are different ways of seeing. Exactly. I think that one should take seriously this idea of truth in the sense of the name of God, what in the Old Testament is usually referred to as the tetragrammer. You know the joke about Brecht? Brecht asked Stalin, what is an invisible and Stalin says, you see, all my enemies stand side by side, and when questioned, everybody says, I don't see it. This is the invisible fence. I think that precisely the tetragram, the name of God, uh, this commas in force, I did something like a perspective. So if you ask people, what does the name of God mean, every answer would be fake, 
But the point blank truth is that you cannot see it from any perspective. And I think that even in cinema and painting, this is the ultimate dimension. You cannot see it. You have those wonderful examples from Hitchcock, where people are watching the death of that beloved person. And they are simply not able to see it. It's an infinite distance. I want to make a second point, if I may. Like you, I'm not religious. But I always suspected that this story of God speaking the world into existence is, in fact, a necessary figure of speech. I have secret, private thoughts on this, as well. I always ask myself, where did all this chaos come from? And how can it then be excluded into a vacuum that is obviously not there? In other words, I think about the vacuum, that there is no vacuum. And then I say to myself, if you go deep enough, then you will find all sorts of little creatures that are moving around in there and creating chaos, who are then suddenly expelled out of this chaos. So where does this vacuum come from? If you push back far enough, you'll find that it doesn't exist. That which is not visible is just as much there as what we see. That's a wonderful insight. I would put it in the following way. Is it not possible to imagine a state immediately after the Big Bang, before the space became clear, where there was some kind of super dense hot cluster of particles, and then a simple act of God consisted of withdrawing all those forces that stained the particles themselves into the void. That is to say, it was never there in the first place. So it is simply an illusion built into our perception of the universe. You know, when I am asked what I really believe in, my answer is not very bad. I simply cannot see myself as anything other than an atheist. But I also have this secret hope that who knows, maybe, somewhere in the deepest regions of space, there will be discarded some, I don't know, extraterrestrial or whatever, creature who has this primordial faculty of belief. It's not the same as rational or irrational. You could just say that some primordial creature exists for whom this gesture of belief is absolutely natural. Are you maybe alluding to a certain artificial intelligence, by the way? No, I'm not that much into the realm of science fiction, but the idea is nonetheless interesting. It's not what you would call a higher intelligence, but just a pre-rational intelligence. In this sense, too, even a primitive idiot who doesn't know how to speak still has imagination and belief. So my idea is that this pre-logical faculty of belief persists, maybe not in the way we imagine it, not in some supernatural way, but nonetheless there is a basic primordial element of belief. Yes, it was just an illusion. I think that's interesting, actually. Yes, is a truth. And that is a courage I hope to bring into cinema. It's not religious, but it's a very deep and important kind of truth, which you can only convey by extraordinary images. It's like poetry, like the beauty of a poem. I totally agree with you. 
you are, as far as I know, the only director of cinema who seriously practices astrology and has a certain faith in horoscopes. And that is a wonderful aspect of your work. It's almost my desire to have a conversation with you about this. I think that astrology never ceases to amaze me, not because I believe it, but because the basic constellation is so clear and so that one thing is the legend of Editors, the horoscope of Kafka, and so on. Sometimes I even blame myself. Isn't there some paradoxical self hated at work here? Like Kafka, when he wrote his will, giving all the money to his sister with the condition that she should go to every performance of his place and after every performance she must call up the same theater manager and ask him how things were. And we all know how Kafka was obsessed by Gil. So you pay to see these performances and it hurts you even more because, you know, she will call afterwards to learn the details so you torment yourself even more. Well, I have no explanation for this. Only I have known since I was a child that the stars have to be in harmony for me to shine for me to work. It's very strange and I can't explain it, but I'm not alone. There are many other people now who also work with astrology. Yes, I have known this for a long, long time. I can't say why. It has something to do with harmony and inner harmony. I think. I know it sounds totally crazy, but it's a fact. Maybe some years ago I gave you a horoscope reading, and I think it was never published. Maybe I should give you one more. Yes, please do it. Yes, you can do it. Okay, you are a center between a stallion and a man. I think you know that this is a very supposition. It's a double alienation. On the one side, you have your horse side. Your life tends to be kind of wild, crazy, with an incredible urge for expression, but not in the sense of sublime poetry or anything like that, but just like running around with some camera, filming grizzly bass and so on. And then on the other side, there is this human side. You try to find harmony, but it's always somehow distorted. Your fate is that you must use it all. You are threatened from both sides. I think every centaur is alone losing both his horsey friends and his human friends. You agree? I think so, yes. Yes, that's true. Yes, I think so. I am a centaur. What you are doing is so important. I know that there are many established film theorists and ordinary people who simply revise cinema and say there isn't anybody interesting for the last 20 years or so. But there have been some very important films made even in the last couple of years. For example, Sochi by Gavin Hood starring press Henrik Mpitsvar, which won the Oscar for the best foreign language film this year or the list of others by Florian Henkel von Donnersmark, which lost to Sochi. If we go back to the 20th century, what would you say is the greatest achievement of cinema? Not in terms of plot or acting or anything like that, but in terms of its deepest potential. I think the achievement of cinema has to do with such basic things as, for example, silence. Silence in a film opens up an entire universe that you could never reach by spoken language. Just think, for example, 
of Chaplin, who is a great master of silence. In the gold rush there is a scene where he is dying of hunger on the mountain, and he tries to catch a rabbit for dinner. He tries to catch the rabbit, but he is too weak to hold it anymore, it only wants to escape. So he takes a fork and starts to dig a hole with it and digs himself a grave just to bury the rabbit. And then he loses the fork every time, he knocks it against the ground. Yet at first you hear nothing. It's only when he knocks it four or five times against the ground, it slowly dawns on you, that there's the sound of metal clunk, clunk, clunk. That is the moment when the whole story erupts in laughs, and you laugh your guts out. This is what cinema can do. Laughter, which comes not from spoken language, but from something else. As you know, I would totally agree with you. And one of my, I think, central ideas is not only that cinema is the ultimate medium of expression, but that it cannot be replaced. There simply is nothing comparable to it today. It's unique. And what I would add is that what cinema captures in a way is this abyss of the annihilation of subjectivity where reality appears as such without any reference to you as an event and so on. For example, a naturalist film like Say Grizzly Man, which follows a man who wanted for years to live with grizzly bears, you see how he gradually gets more and more isolated from his own environment, how he dies more as a human being. Hitchcock would have said that the director has the power over life and death, and there is something like this even in reality documentaries. When you watch a film about some poor guy who follows grizzly bears for 15 years, you are in a sense killing him. It's almost as if you are participating in his suicide. Like in the 9-11 documentary where the poor fireman from the top of the building start to slide down the building, it's as if they are really sliding towards the camera. I would like to take a step back and ask where we are, because it's getting a little strange. I think both of us have a feeling that we are no longer on this planet. Yes, where are we? I don't know, but the weird situation is that we are talking about cinema and it's as if we were not really in this world. You were asking me a moment ago whether cinema is really so unique or not. It is totally unique. And now I think that even with digital, it's not clear at all, no matter how good the image is for, let's say that will not be cinema. Cinema is always more, something extra. Like psychoanalysis, not only do we have in the media all of these pop shows, self-help books and so on, but there is also always in psychoanalysis the short point at which you are caught in an embarrassing personal story from your childhood and you get the ironic comment from the analyst, oh, so you think you got rich because your mother didn't feed you enough this is the moment when you are outside, when you are already caught in a perfection of illusion. And it's not you who is speaking. I like that very much. It reminds me of my favorite moment in a film by Louis Buñuel, the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. There is a scene where a man and his wife are walking through a park and they meet a goat. And they are so polite 
and so proper that, instead of pushing each other away, they decide to pass side by side like the two sides of a single rope. But then the rope unravels, and all three of them run together into an orgy. That is what we want to do with our audience, throw them into an orgy, a decadent spectator orgy. This would be my dream to organize a series of films which would be like a cinema encyclopedia and its structure would be that directly after each film there is another film which is already the following step in evolution. So when you have a silent film, then the next film would be a talking movie, then maybe talkies, then after the formalist films, there would be psychoanalytic films and so on, but with the same motive. I think it would be a wonderful experience. Yes, let's do it.